Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Pursuit of the Perfect Race. I'm Coach Terry Wilson, and with each episode, I bring stories of athletes to you that share their experiences at races in order for you to learn how to have your perfect race. We will hear stories from athletes of all ages, abilities, and races of all distances. So regardless of where you fit in, there's something in there for you. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the pursuit begin. and welcome back to Pursuit of the Perfect Race. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to my friend Jonathan Fedok about his recent race experience at Norseman Extreme Triathlon in Eifjord, Norway, where he had a time of 12 hours, 27 minutes, 38 seconds. He's been doing triathlons for many, many years now. This year, the race took place on August 12, 2018, and the temperature on race day was 55 and rose to about 70 degrees or so, and the swim was in the high 50s. Welcome to the show Jonathan, I look forward to hearing about your race experience at Norseman. Awesome. So what made you want to do this crazy race over in Norway? So I've done over 10 Ironmans now, and I'm sure you may have seen there's a lot of images and podcasts as well as like a lot of information focused on Norseman. Also, there's stuff on a lot of the other websites and how it's such a bucket list race. So my wife, Shannon Foran, who I think a lot of people who know me probably know her as well, me last year, you want to do Norseman? My answer was no. Um, I did the Ironman in Coeur d'Alene years ago when the water was 54 degrees. That was the most miserable experience of my life. I kind of just thought to myself that I will never do another triathlon in cold water again. Well, Shannon put my name in last year into the lottery, and for anyone who doesn't know, Norseman is a pretty restrictive race. They only take about 250 athletes a year. Of that, there's only like 150 to 180 that they actually take through the lottery. All the other people are sort of guaranteed slots, either if you're from Norway or like your friend is sponsor or you're in a league. Um, so it's actually very hard to get into. They usually have over 5,000 people buying for those lottery slots. And most people have been trying to get into the lottery for about 10 years. I don't really know how their lottery works. I've been told that they bet some of the entries. doesn't matter. I got picked first draft. Um, it was last November that it was actually right before I ran in Arizona that I got an email. Actually, I think it was on our way to Arizona. I got an email that said, Welcome to Norseman. And I turned to Shannon and I said, What is this? And she said, Oh, that's just a confirmation that says, I put your name in the lottery. I said, No, it has an activation link here with the code. It says I got in. Um, she didn't believe me, of course, but she looked at it 
challenging race. It's truly a sort of a bucket list, and you know, it's a big honor to be able to get picked for it. So I kind of just committed to it this year and said, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do the race, go up there, have fun, and almost, you know, I was excited because we're going to make a big family trip to Europe out of it. Right. So how is your train going to this race? <laughs> I live in Kentucky. It's black here. Uh, I thought I was doing a lot of the key things I needed to be doing, lots of hill repeats, stressing as much as I could going uphill. I can tell you there was absolutely no hill I biked or ran in the state of Kentucky that really prepared me for what I was up against in Norway. I've never even seen mountains like that. I guess if you live in Colorado, you might live in a different scenario. Um, we did do kind of like one training weekend where we went down to Tucson. That was back in April. I, I biked Mount Lemon a couple times. That, that's sort of a good prep. You know, Mount Lemon is nowhere near as steep as what those hills I was climbing in Norway. Um, I think a lot of people know Chris McDonald has been coaching me all the way up the hill this race. And, you know, he, he kind of worked with me quite a bit on. Everything I was doing was hill repeats, working on building my power on the bike to get ready for hills, and lots of, again, hill repeats on the run. I can tell you, I didn't have any prep for cold water swimming, just I didn't really have access to anything like that. Um, even the cold walk, cold air biking, I guess, was a big deal here, because we don't have that much here in Kentucky, so a lot of the components for the swimming literally out of my elements when it came to training. One other significant thing that I did this year, just knowing that I was going to have to go up to elevation and do that, is I invested in about an altitude 10 point email last year. Um, and I've been sleeping at 10,000 feet for the past six months. The race only went to about six or 7,000 feet, but I've done races in Colorado before where once you're at 5,000 feet, I will just feel you know, winded like I was breathing through a straw. So, at the very least, I thought the tent would help. And personally, I think the tent made a huge improvement because when I was in Norway, I never felt short of breath. I felt the pain in the hills. I felt the stress going uphill. I'm kind of half hard about twerking, but I didn't feel like the altitude took effect on me like it would have typically come from a flat land state like Kentucky. Okay. Now, going into this race, what was your longest swim, bike, and run workouts? Uh, let's see. Longest swim was 4,800 in total. My longest bike was about 115, or 1,516 miles. And uh, my longest run was right at 20 miles. Okay. And then, you know, it, it's funny. The run course in Norway climbed up to 6,000 feet. Wow. I would go power my as brutal as I could, so when it's 90 degrees on Saturday, that's when I get out the door. Um, I would run every, I would link together every challenging hill I thought I could make, and I couldn't even get 2,000 feet of climbing in a 20 mile run here. Gosh. Um, on my bike rides, you know, I think one day I did like 5,000 feet of climbing over, over 100 miles. Northman, we were doing 12,000 feet in 112 miles, so it, again, it's kind of hard to compare to that stuff. Wow, that's a lot of heel work. <laughs> now, were you doing a lot of bricks in training? Um, my training as a whole is very challenging because of my work. Um, you know, the other thing that just got thrown into the whole mix for this year was I've, I'm a physician. I've 
specifically our radiation oncologist. I worked at the University of Kentucky all the way up until the end of April, and then I started a new job in May. Just say I've been trying to adjust, and with my new job, I probably picked up the number of hours I was doing per day pretty quickly. And then it's been a good problem to have, but it's been a tough problem in that we have a lot of change jobs in other hospitals. Um, I'm literally taking all the patients with me. So the practice that I joined, we were originally under the impression that I was just going to come in and split the workload so that two people would split into rooms three. I brought all my own work with me when I joined. And what's happened is our, our practice is actually booming right now to where we've had to extend the hours and bump into the day to accommodate all the patients. So that put a lot of stress and strain on my training and schedule. So um, I really train about 10 to 12 hours a week. Some weeks actually a little bit less, and most of the time it's very high intensity during the week. Um, I probably get in an hour to an hour and a half in the morning. Most years I try to do maybe two or three extra workouts in the evenings after I compress up the months. It's just been a lot of days in the morning. And then on the weekends, I'll get up very early and I'll knock out my 100 miles. I just want to say this sometimes my mind better be 10 o'clock in the morning. Wow, so you're getting up at like 3? I think I remember seeing you post something about a multi-loop thing, and it was like an ungodly amount of loops. It was like, what, 30, 40, 50 loops or something? Oh my gosh. Okay. Now, were you doing a lot of strength training? Good use of the textbooks. <laughs> wow. It seems like you have a really high priority of spending time with your family. 
Good. I mean, I feel like some triathletes kind of lose focus of that, and it's hard to manage that. But you seem to manage the life work balance pretty well. Okay. So as a triathlete, do you see yourself more as doing this for fun and doing this because you like doing it? Or do you want to be competitive at it? Or a little bit of both? Right. Now, 
as far as your time management goes, you are a full-time physician dealing with cancer patients. You're a full-time dad and a husband, and you train 10 to 15 hours a week. I'm assuming you sleep around 48 to 56 hours a week, hopefully. And how do you... It might be. Okay, so how do you keep up with the time management? Wow, so you like it seems like everything has a designated place in your life, and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. It, it can't get pushed anywhere because that pushing it doesn't exist. Something else. It's not gonna happen. Okay. Now going into this race, what workouts did you do that gave you the confidence to go into it prepared? So, you know, I, 
tell Rance, hey, just so you know, I'm going to have a good time with this. I'm going to try to soak as much in as I can. I'm not going to just complain about it. We're just going to make the best of what we got. Wow. That's crazy because relying on other people to really tell you that you're in good shape rather than actually having workouts give you the confidence going into this and you're also taking it with gratitude it's just a good thing and a good way to go into a race of this magnitude because i feel like if you don't have gratitude and just realize hey it's about experiencing this it might be coming from the wrong place even to tell the line now going into this race when did you start your taper So looking at the logistics going into Norseman, you're living in Kentucky, you have to get your bike, get your family to Norway, get a rental car, get a place to stay. What other logistics are there? Is there any kind of paperwork you need to get to get a rental car, insurance for the car, anything um, like that? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is this 
Well, good. Now, you leave Lexington, and I talked to you before you actually left the States about all the flights and the things that were going on there. Walk me through that. What happened? Well, I was thinking I was not actually going to write some more stories about the place before. Um, you know, I'm a little bit limited on how much I can take the place in the book. Um, the reality is there's certain things that if I leave work, it kind of just sits until I get back and move on. You know, I cancel creation, so wait and days sometimes isn't what people want to hear. But, um, you know, we had planned to take off. Uh, I was going to leave work Tuesday night. We're going to catch our airplane, go to Atlanta, fly from Atlanta to uh, Netherlands, and we were going to be in Norway Wednesday morning. Well, we went to the airport on Tuesday, and there was a storm somewhere in, the, in Georgia. Our plane was sitting at the gate. The crew was sitting right there, but they wouldn't let the plane take off because it didn't have the flight plane to land. So we had the airport for three hours, and next we had the point where the flight was now taking off in Atlanta, and we're still sitting in Lexington. So is we're not going to Norway tonight. They rebooked us for Wednesday, but the flight plane on Wednesday, we were actually going to be leaving later in the day, getting to Norway, not until actually 5 p.m. on Thursday. Nothing on the option. One part was as we were waiting in the airport on Wednesday, the storms were now rolling through Kentucky, and that flight was delayed three hours. Uh, it finally took off. We got to uh, Detroit, and then took our flight over. Uh, the hard part about it was by the time we landed in Norway, got our rental car, figured out where we were, and made it to Olmec. It was 9 o'clock at night, Norway time. That's Thursday night. Uh, the race starts 5 a.m. Saturday morning. So, honestly, I, we got to Norway in less than 36 hours later, which was a Wow. And during all this time, how was your anxiety with your bike and getting all that? Like I said, I had that little tile app. The bike was getting there just fine. Um, as soon as we got to the airport, I got it out and I checked it. And, and you know, again, I guess it is what it is. If the bike got damaged, I was probably just going to go find a bike shop in Bergen and just rent one. But I don't know. Uh, it's been worse. I, I if, it were, if it were damaged, I probably wouldn't have gone there. But fortunately, the bike was fine. So uh, just going to roll it up and get ready for the race. Okay. So, how was the check-in process at the registration? How what, what does this look like? Well, let's just say it's very relaxed and <laughs> compared to here. You know, one thing I can say about Norseman compared to any other race I've ever been in, uh, their communication is phenomenal. Um, the number of emails they had a closed Facebook page. They were doing webinars. They were doing pre-race videos of certain components of the race that may have been tricky. They made it very well and clear what we needed to do ahead of time before we showed up there. Now, to that end, we had Jan and I had our kids there. So on check-in day, you know, you're supposed to have your support person with you so that they can sign in and get their bracelet and all their credentials. Uh, they told me, you better be sure you bring your USA triathlon card and your photo ID. I don't even think they checked my photo ID. I think I just looked and said, Jonathan, I'm from 185. Want me to check in? And I'm like, oh, okay. Here's your bag. Here's your stuff. This is for your support person. I'm here, by the way. No. Okay, we'll make sure you tell them that uh, they need to wear this bracelet. Just put it on them when you get home. And uh, they have to wear this shirt. And then go, go get your stuff over there, and then you're good. Um, but I, I think I walked in, got my bag, got my time, and so nobody actually confirmed that I was who I was. Uh, 
there was probably five or six people left to check in when I showed up. Okay. And the chances of some random person just walking in and saying they are you is probably very slim. Probably slim. And if you just want to walk in and jump in that race, uh, <laughs> you, may, you may be surprised what happens. Because <laughs> it's, it's definitely not a, an easy walk in the park, that's for sure. Wow. So what all kind of swag did you get? And you got your black shirt. I got the black shirt. Yes. Okay. Now, the day before the race, what kind of meals were you trying to get? Were you jet lagged at all? Um, I, yeah, I was jet lagged. <laughs> um, I guess I was just trying to you know, try to catch up on sleep because basically I, I just lost the whole night in the past two nights. Um, I was trying to just get a feel for the water. So the town that we were in, Old Nick. We had a little house that was right on the water, so, you know, I jumped in and swam a little bit. I rode my bike for 30 minutes or so, really just riding through the gears and making sure everything was there. And then I did a really easy kind of 10-minute run. That was about it. You know, I, I wasn't trying to overeat. I was just trying to eat comfortable. And, uh, I wasn't doing anything specific for that. And then, you know, for me to go to that town of Eisner, check in, make a pre-race meeting, and kind of figure out the lay of where I'm going to go on Saturday morning to park. I have to walk. That literally kind of ate up a very large chunk of the day. Okay. How was the cell phone? Did you have to get like a new SIM card or anything so like that? What we did was we just, we have AT&T, so we just went to AT&T and said we want an international plan for the month of August. Um, and honestly, when, we, when you get there, we were able to make phone calls. Uh, we can pull from data and it's remarkable how many places in Norway or in Scandinavia have Wi-Fi. But you go to the gas station, there's a Wi-Fi you can pull off of. There's a grocery store. So if we had to do anything like that, we just had to wait until we are in the house or one of the shops that had Wi-Fi, we could go ahead and use it. Okay. Now, 
as far as the currency, what does the currency exchange look like? Did you have to get Norwegian currency? bet at a certain time on the night before the race, right? So what kind of race day nutrition were you using? Did you have um, a ideal number of calories you were going to get per hour? I was trying to shoot about 350. Okay. And then for better measures, when I, when I hit towards the end of the run, I had a candy bar and some you know, high ball weight for me. It's a, it's a major climb about that I did called Evening Tales. This thing is like, it was like six and a half miles, average 11% grade, and as high as 18. It's brutal. Basically, I do, and I your cassette and your gear that you're using. Walk me through the bike gear gear you're using and the gear you're using on the bike. Wow. 
Now, you get to the race site the morning of the race. You're staying 45 minutes away, so you had to leave 45 minutes earlier than the people that were there. How was the drive-in? Did you hit any traffic or anything? There's really not a lot of traffic on those roads. Um, You have to pay attention as you're driving. The other thing that's very unique about Norway, they are master tunnel builders. So, you know, the fjords are big inlays of water that have been kind of cut because of glaciers over time. So the water is sea level, but yet there's a 2,000 foot cliff on the side of it. They don't run roads over the top. They run roads through them. So, uh, I mean, there was one drive we did where we were literally in a tunnel for over 20 miles. And the hard part about the tunnels is they're straight. Or maybe they have a little bit of a left turn or a right turn. But what you miss on that is because you're in a tunnel and you're looking straight, you have such a long sight line. You may be going up the hill like 6 or 7% grade, but it looks flat because you're in the tunnel. We did ride through some of those tunnels during the race, but there was one that was about four miles long, and we climbed about a thousand feet in that tunnel. And it's just so deceiving because you're riding, it looks flat, it looks straight, but then you're kind of saying, but gravity wise, my head feels like it's way back on the bike, and I feel like I'm sitting on the back wheel. Well, it's because you're flying. Wow, that's crazy. Like, I don't know of any other race that has a tunnel that's four miles long own it. I mean, because then you have to rely on lights. I mean, I'm assuming that yeah. there's not many lights so, in there. So that was the other requirement with Norseman is everybody must have a headlight. I think they put a stipulation of at least like 200 lumens. It has to be strong enough that it'll last eight hours. You must have a rear light as well. And you had to wear a uh, bright reflective vest during the bike. And like a little running um, mesh vest Right. So you get a transition. Are you setting up your transition any different way? Because there's two transition areas, 112 miles apart here. What are you doing so, there? To be honest with you, when we arrived in the morning, it was raining. And with your support, Shannon was actually allowed to be standing in D1 when I got there. She's also allowed to be standing in D2. And they kind of told us that on average, when people come out of the swim, they can't really feel their hands to the degree that actually change their clothes. So I had all this stuff already pre-packed into my bike. And then in terms of what I needed, like the best arm warmers, the gloves, my shoes, I put it all in a, in a plastic bag and wrapped it up because I, I wanted it to be dry when I came in. So honestly, checking in the T1 was kind of quick. Walked in, put my bike in the rack, and then we made it to race. I had, a, had my bike in position, and that way, well, Shannon came in with me so that she knew where everything was. And then, as soon as I get out of the water, she was basically met me to put all the gear on. Okay, now, whenever you got onto the ferry to do this swim, for people that don't understand what Norseman really is that might be listening, it's almost like the escape series where they put you on a boat and you jump off the boat, and it's what a point to point, right? It's a point to point. So the boat left the harbor just before 4 a.m., um, which is a large ferry boat that's intended to take cars across the fjord. So when you get on the bottom, it's like this giant parking lot of a deck, and you just go upstairs. And when you go upstairs, you know, there's some general seating. And it's the same quality of the seating as what you'd see on an airplane. Um, I'm particularly comfortable, but not that bad. Um, I mean, 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It sounds beautiful. Okay. Now, before you left the States, you had mentioned that there was something that Mark Miller had told you about that people were doing on the boat with uh, jelly or fat. 
the tricks that a lot of Europeans come with, like the English Channel, these comfort phase and their skin exposed areas with goose fat. Um, yeah, I, uh, I didn't see anybody that um, I did use root beast so that would go to my whole face, neck, and skin exposed areas with root beast, so they, they work fine. Okay. So you get to T1. How does T1 go for you? T1 looks like for me, other than that, I'm not the same, but other than that, Wow. So knowing that this bike ride has 12,000 feet of gain, what was your strategy to tackle this? Did you have a power plan, a cadence, or any type of heart rate plan that you were going off of? What was this like? We'll say I had a max. A max. Where the quick meter group, where Matt likes to meet your people, started 
bathroom. Uh, I was going to hide to go to the bathroom so bad. There's no porta potties on the course because I told us how it was. It's fine. Well, I hit the top of that climb, and my stomach was just rumbling. You know, I had like the worst cramps ever. I literally dropped the bike on the side of the road, told Shannon, I'm sorry, sprinted into this place. Norway is also, I told you, they're an awesome tunnel though, and they're awesome with their breakfast buffets also. Because I ran into this place, if you can imagine being 30 miles into an airport, it's the most awesome breakfast buffet of waffles, pancakes, cheese, dishes, name it, it was there. And they started trying to end up looking at both the, the end owner while passing the bathroom. And I just burned right past this buffet, go to the bathroom, take it off a one piece kit in a European little square box stall. It's not easy, but I actually stopped and took about a 10 or 15 minute bathroom break. If I had more time and I had cash on me, I probably would have hit the buffet on the table. <laughs> and then got back on the bike. And I probably lost 20 positions in that race because of that bathroom stuff. But I, I had to. And I felt so much better after it did. It kind of allowed me to kind of reprogram. And then, you know, like, look, I'm not enjoying this. I'll never feel sad with that again. There's no way to do that for a while. But, um, you know, I was able to kind of get back at it after that. Okay. So as far as the bike ride goes, what would you tell somebody to make sure they pay attention to on this bike ride that hasn't done this bike course before? So I'll be honest with you, I was nervous about the uphills. I should have been more nervous about the downhills. Really? Um, it was raining pretty hard for about the first 60 miles. Do you say that again? No, you're good. Okay, sorry. So, you know, it was raining hard for probably the first 60, 70 miles. It was overcast. The roads are too late. They're kind of squirrely. They're not really that straight. There's a lot of wind up there. Is the quality of the road good? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, there were segments where it wasn't bad, but there were segments where there were cuts in the road crap. So, you know, I've ridden in Kona where you're, you're going in a straight line. You've got these big gusts. To be perfectly honest with you, I thought some of the downhills in Norway make Kona look easy. Really? Um, I was kind of petrified with some of those downhills where, you know, I'm doing 50 miles an hour on wet roads, and I don't know what turn is coming up, whether it's to the right or it's to the left. And we have wind. Um, so so with, with these conditions, what kind of wheels did you want to bring for this condition? That's what I brought. I did. I, I mainly brought them more for the, the climbing component. Now there were people out there pushing discs and riding 808s. They were all from Norway. I think they knew the roads way better than me. So you know, the wind race was really progressive because I was doing quite well climbing. I was getting killed on some of the downhills, and most of that was just because you know I got a job. I, I got to come back to work. I'm not going to throw it down and bomb a hill if I don't know the direction the turns are at the bottom. So, you know, the downhills were a lot more challenging than what I was ready to do. But I think the, the key to a race like Norseman is you get a lot of climbing. And when you do the bike, I'm sorry, when you finish the bike and you start to run, you really have a lot of climbing at the end. So you cannot burn it too early. you got to take the day gradually. Okay. Now, what kind of PSI were you using? Um, because it was raining, I, I lowered it down and only did 95. Okay. What would you normally ride at? Okay. Now, with this course, 
there's no aid stations. There's it's self-supported. You have to have lights. You have to have all of this safety stuff. Is there anything that really sticks out about this course that made it spectacular to you? So the miles like from 80 to 112, how is your headspace? How fast? How fast? Two is fun. I just 
present myself behind this smile. It doesn't matter what place I'm in. Although, on my mind, I definitely want to meet the heat. So, just, yeah, I took my time. I wasn't trying to sprint as fast as I could. I just took a bike up to get the running shoes on. This was probably where the logistics in this race were starting to get hard, specifically for me. Really? What made it so hard? Well, so Shane and I have the kids' race, and you have to have your support person basically dress ready with their backpacks ready to go at mile 23 um, to run to the top of the mountain. Problem is the run is a point-to-point, and again, and our hotel was basically in about mile 20 with a turnoff on the opposite direction. So um, I knew I was going to run the majority of the marathon solo without any intention and things like that. So I packed a backpack ahead of time. It's just one of those running packs where I just put two liters of water in it and took six gels. And basically, the second the run started, I just told you, oh, man, Bobby's on the hill, which is a major climb to do. That starts at mile 18. Or, yeah, mile 18. So, for the start of the run, I just uh, basically was just focusing on, you know, tempo, cadence, and feel. I was not looking at the mile splits. Um, as soon as we started, it was pretty apparent I was running faster than all the other people that were there. So, I just kept my cadence on and my tempo, but I was trying to subjectively hold back because I knew there's six feet, 6,000 feet of climbing in the last eight miles of that race. So, you know, I was just kind of counting and just making sure I was trying to drink as much and take as many gels as I, as I could. That's kind of when I got into a little bit of trouble because I, I, I completely ran out of water and gels by the time I hit mile 15. Wow. Um, so, what kind of cadence are you looking for? I, I hold a cadence of 160 to 165. Okay. I know a lot of people talk about 180. Uh, 180, uh, for me, 180 ends up being a five-minute mile. It, it, five minutes at 520. So uh, I, I, I don't try that. Because, uh, my running shot is what it is. It's been that way for 20 years. Um, so for me, a 160, 165 cadence is Personally, I kind of completely ran out by the time I hit the Smoky Hill. If you look at my style, my heart rate started dropping. I mean, take my pace, and then when I hit Smoky Hill, I actually kind of cranked it up really bad. Oh, really? But, um, you know, when I hit Smoky Hill, so for those who don't know, the marathon is mostly flat. There's some rollers for the first 18 miles, but for the most part, it's pretty flat. You do a U around this lake, then you go through a straight shot through this valley. Can't really see Mount Vista Top and it's going to be mile 11. Until you hit what? Mile 11. And when you do, you realize you've got 15 miles to go, and you see this steeple way out in the distance that is about as high as an airplane. It kind of makes your heart drop a little bit. But when you get to mile 18, they have this famous hill called Zombie Hill. It's 4.7 miles long and goes almost 3,000 feet. Um, it's five switchbacks that are all 11% greater than water. So what I've been told ahead of time is everybody walks Zombie Hill. Maybe the dude that wins the race can manage to get up it, but basically everybody's walking Zombie Hill. So as soon as I got there, even though nutritionally I was kind of in the toilet, I just said to myself, I'm not walking this whole thing. I'm going to run until I can, and then we'll figure something out. So I made it at the first switchback, and I probably had five people on that switchback. Um, when I made the turn, I actually was cramping up really bad. 
stop running. So I kind of just walked and I said to myself, I don't care if I'm doing this. If I'm praying for what, if we're going to walk 100 steps, we're going to run 100 steps. And we're just going to keep alternating that. So while everybody else was walking, I was just forcing myself on 100 walk, 100 walk, 100. And if I felt a little bit better, I would push it 200 or 300 steps. By the time I made it to about the third switch back, Shannon had now got checked in the hotel because the hotel room and actually came back down the hill to find me. And she kind of saw me and I was looking at her shaking her head like I need salt and I hadn't had any. I actually thought, well, I packed some of those salt tabs to bring and everybody else, I couldn't find them in the bag. They ended up in the wrong, they were in the wrong backpack from where it was. So I didn't have any salt. So I'm trying to get her to go to another race team get somebody to give me some salt. Um, she got not far, so I said, go ask the Russians. I thought he was Russian for that. He's no reason. <laughs> but then he gave, they gave her some salt, which it was a different kind of salt. I guess it was kind of like base salt in a way. You didn't know if it would want the stuff in your mouth and you drank real fast. Um, but I was able to get salt. I, I rallied a little bit and kind of kept it up. When we got to the top of the zombie hill, it's kind of neat because you hit the checkpoint where literally, if you can keep on straight to get the black shirt or you're going to be forced to take a left turn. When you got to that, they actually made you stop and the race director was there and she was shaking my hand saying, congratulations. And she told me that I was in 31st and well on my way to the black shirt. So she checked Shannon and then she let us go. At that point, you continue on the road for about another three miles. Um, it's all climbing, and again, and then when you get to the end of that, you get to a turnoff point along the trail. This was kind of one of the weird moments that um, hasn't, has, I've never had this happen before. They basically had a medical checkpoint before you were allowed to go off-road, where this dude who was a doctor basically grabbed me one hand on each shoulder, made me lift up my sunglasses, and tell him my name, my date of birth, and he was with me, and I had to point out, this is Shannon, my wife, what's in your bag? I had to tell him everything that was in my backpack. He was like, you feel good? I thought that was kind of like the drunkest thing for whatever. He, he kind of cleared me to go, and I was able to go up that final two and a half miles. And in the last two and a half miles, um, I don't know how anybody can run that. And it, to say it's an off-road trail is a major understatement. It's large rocks that you have to basically climb over. Um, there are maybe a few segments of two and a half miles, maybe there was half a mile where you could tap off and do a light jog. But I was actually kind of having a, I had a hard time on that section, you know, and I lost several places because of it. Most of it had to do with I was just completely exhausted, kind of stumbling and tripping. And that's why, honestly, you need to have the uh, support team there. So there was a picture in Traffic Magazine of me that looks like Shannon's pushing me over a rock. Uh, she was actually catching me. I was falling back a little bit. But, you know, you offer kind of do this long segment climbing up the rocks, and then at the very top, you kind of have a series of like 50 steps or so that you kind of climb up, and then you're at the actual top of the rock. So that's what the finish line is. Wow. So for this run course, you climbed 6,000 feet of game, and you weren't able to train in that at all. Correct. So as far as the run goes, you weren't able to prepare – in Kentucky for anything like this, and you've never experienced anything like this before. So, how was this experience? Were you able to take pictures with Shannon on this course at all? Yeah, there's actually a lot of pictures, unfortunately. A lot of them Shannon was taking. Um, and a lot of photographers on the course. And the other thing that's kind of neat about most of it, except for 
The lone the American? Oh, wow. Wow. So tell me about the last 800 yards before the finish line. Is it anything like any Ironman event race? So tell me about the finish line. How was that experience? Wow, that's pretty cool. So how was your recovery process?
face as large as this, like flat toenail, just kind of joint to my knees and ankles. This one was more of the psychic disorders in my lower back, which I had straight to my shoulders, so we were all climbing all day. Um, yeah, I took three days off and went back running and biking again. And, you know, I, I was tired, but it didn't destroy me uh, physically like some other Ironmans have. And I think that's because of the beating and the pounding that just wasn't there. Wow. What's something that you learned about yourself or this race experience that you'd want to pass on to someone who hasn't done this race before that's an experienced triathlete? Um, I think it's just this one of those races where um, learning to pace yourself and ease into the day is probably one of the most important recommendations I could ever give as a best piece of advice I think. But, um, you kind of have to throw your ego out the door whatever Ironman time So, to kind of ask the obvious question, why do you even do triathlons in the first place? I do them because I enjoy it. Like I said, to get stress relief, and I have my own dreams and aspirations, and I still want to prove to myself that I'm capable of all of it. You know, I'll joke and say, if you know, people like interest, then make my kids proud. Um, I say there's a lot of truth in that, but also from my own personal standpoint, you know, I like the achievement. Wow. Now, from a physician standpoint, are you doing it to stay healthy? Wow. How can people find more information about that?
it's just sort of blood divider later than other college. Okay. So you said you have your own dreams. What are your own dreams? Okay. That was exactly what I was going to ask. Are you going to sideline the fool until they get older, maybe in college? first-timers that are doing this race next year? I know you've only done it once, but looking at it from a first-timer's point of view, what advice would you give them? Okay, so on a scale of 1 to 10, how challenging was this race for you logistically? Um, 
Wow. So we covered quite a bit about your race and training and logistics and all of that. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Awesome. So I know you're doing Kona next. Do you have anything in between now and Kona? So you've done Kona how many times so far? Uh, two. Two. So going into this at your third time, what are you doing different than the first time you went into this race? Okay. For first timers that are going to Kona this year, what advice would you give them? going to be a packs around you. 
because they're all writing the same speech, you know. Um, you know, I've gotten caught up before where you're not paying attention, like singing on your push four or five hundred watts, way above where you need to be. And I, you just do your race at least for the first half of the bike. And then because it's so hot, whatever your power goals are gonna be for say a seventy degree race in mainline you're going to have to dial it down a little bit. You can't be pushing that same power in 100, 110 degree heat, uh, unless you're trained to, which most of us are not. So, you know, just dial it down. Again, you know, I think you're going to have a much better time at home if you use it about experience than if you're trying to just blast out a PR. Um, so, we all advance going to be a hot day. Wear sunscreen. That's the other thing I can tell you. And a two-piece kit? Uh, <laughs> the first year I was there, I had a two-piece kit. I thought it was Wow. I've seen a picture of that and it's it looks terrible. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow, so you've done Norseman, you've done Kona coming up on three times, and you've been in the sport for how many years now? I did my first Kona's eighteen and I've been doing Iron Man since two thousand seven. So eleven years I've been Okay. You so you've been in this for a, a while. What races are still on your bucket list? Your turn. <laughs> wow. So, how can athletes follow you? And that's Iron C O L O G Y. Yep, I-R-O-N-C-O-L-O-G-Y. Okay. Now, you've probably listened to the show before, and you obviously know this question is coming before we sign off, and that's what's your definition of a perfect race? And how would you know if you gave it everything you had? Okay, well, good. So you actually have a way to measure that. I'm telling you, I stopped at an end for at least 10 or 15 minutes so I could go to the back. 
left the hike on the sidewalk. It was probably like a 50 yard hike in this place. Um, you know, 20 minutes before that, I thought I was going to drop my own race. I was cramping so bad, but you know, we got over that. It's a long day, no matter how you cut it. So, not perfect races. You finish that thing, you feel good. Like you tried your best, you put everything you had into it. That's my thing. So, Northman, that was a perfect race, despite all the other things that didn't necessarily go right. Wow. Well, Jonathan, I just want to take a minute and say thank you so much for coming on the show, spending some time with me, and letting me see what it's like to do this race. It was really great, and I enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, you have a good day, and we'll talk soon, okay? All right. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you were able to learn something from today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please take a minute to leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to see pictures from this athlete's race, learn more about who I am, what I'm doing, or be on the show yourself to share your story, check out my website at CoachTerryWilson.com. Until next time, continue the pursuit.